Kia ora, koutou katoa, and welcome to a one-off uh, podcast from the Kaka. I'm Bernard Hickey. Today I wanted to look at this week's dramas in the electricity market. I try and keep an eye on this one. It's fun to watch uh, for all sorts of great reasons. It's a it's a real staple of the political economy. Um, lots at stake. Everyone is a power consumer. And actually, as voters and taxpayers, we are power shareholders as well through the government's 51% share in Mercury, Meridian and Genesis. And for a long time now, there's been unhappiness from consumers, large and small, about how the market has operated and concern that it is not going to get us anywhere near carbon zero anytime soon. Well, this week, the major electricity users group, MUG, uh, came out with a really interesting report. The major electricity users group essentially is NZ Inc. of big power users. So the likes of Fonterra, New Zealand Steel, and others who are really big consumers of power, many of whom are buying directly from the gen tailors, the generator retailers and often at, at or close to wholesale prices. Or they may have bought in the financial markets uh, a bunch of hedges to protect themselves. So it is uh, an interesting subset of the electricity market, but one that's quite informed and who actually understand the market and have some influence with politicians and with the industry. So it's not just Joe Blogg standing up and having a rant. This is essentially New Zealand Inc. coming out and saying that the market is not working. So over the last 18 months, MUG has been doing a real analysis of Meridian Energy's results and its performance as a company and whether it's producing so-called super profits. Now you may ask, how can you measure whether a companies making too much profit you know if they're making lots of profit well they must have earned it well uh, there is a way to measure it and the commerce commission uh, does this in various ways and it's actually just done it for the supermarket sector they work out what the underlying cost of capital is for a particular business and if you're making consistent returns which are significantly above that underlying cost of capital that it's clear you are not seeing the competition that would normally compete away those excess returns over time. So uh, Meridian, uh, which the government owns 51% of and which owns a lot of the hydro down south uh, and is the major supplier to the TY Point aluminium smelter, is uh, a, the biggest one and, according to Mug, the cleanest one in that it's not doing lots of other bits and pieces. And so Mug had a good look at its profits and found that it was producing profits, particularly over the last decade or so, which was substantially above the cost of capital. And for those who read the uh, Comments Commission's report into the supermarket sector, which found double-digit returns on capital invested when their cost of capital was significantly below 10%, well, the same thing is happening for Meridian Energy, according to this Mug report. And... Mug has had a close look at uh, what's going on. So I uh, decided to give John Harbord a call. He's the chair of the Major Electricity Users Group and is familiar with how this stuff operates. And so I gave him a call and we had a good old chat. I hope you enjoy this and geek out 
how the electricity markets work and also how politics work. Well, John, could you talk about um, why the major electricity users group uh, decided to come up with this report, which has been in the works for 18 months or so? Certainly, Bernard, happy to. Uh, For us, you know, what we've seen in the wholesale electricity market is elevated prices for the last three years. Um, so we've, our members, very keen to understand what's sort of driving those high prices, what's behind them. Um, and we'd previously commissioned independent work looking at the impact of gas prices and gas shortages. Uh, we'd commissioned work looking at how the, the price stack was put together and pricing issues. We've looked at hydrology. Um, And from our point of view, um, there was an open question about whether there was excess profit uh, being generated by the suppliers into the wholesale market. Um, So after looking at all those other things, we decided this would be the next thing we would look at. So we commissioned this work, uh, as you say, well over a year ago um, and have released the results of it this week. What did you find? Uh, So what we found is, so we looked at... Um, the published financial results of Meridian Energy over the last 20 years. Now, the reason we chose Meridian in the first instance um, was that they are the largest supplier into the wholesale market by quite some margin. Um, Their business is relatively clean in respect of, there's not a lot of side businesses that Meridian has, um, and their public accounts are very clean and easy to follow. So, they sort of ticked all the boxes for us about sort of 15, 18 months ago when we were thinking about who would we would kick off with. Um, there was nothing more to it than that, actually. We just thought they would be the easiest to do and the biggest. Um, and our feeling was if we found nothing, well, that would give members a bit of reassurance that there was no issue to see here. Um, so what we found over the 20 years was that it's sort of a picture of two halves in a way. Um, for the first 10 years, so we looked at the period essentially from when Meridian was corporatized um, so we're looking at the last 20 years. So for the first 10 years, sort of 2001 to, through to about 2012, uh, what we found was economic profit pretty closely matched on average with the cost of capital. Uh, now, cost of capital, for those who don't know, is essentially the rate that the Commerce Commission uses to reflect what is a fair and reasonable return on a business. Um, so economic profit, excess economic profit is a technical term of how much profit are you making above um, what the Commerce Commission might deem as reasonable? Does that adjust for uh, risk? You know, sometimes if you were um, gold mining or so, there's quite a bit of <laughs> risk, and you could argue that the risk-adjusted cost, cost of capital for a gold miner might be more than for a something that's a utility where they have uh, pretty much guaranteed customers. Yeah, absolutely. There's two ways that that's done, Bernard. One is, particularly if you look at a long-term trend, this is why you know you don't pick a couple of years because if you've got a highly volatile sector, you know you get accused of cherry picking and rightly so. Um, the other one is it's reflected in part of the formula that the Commerce Commission uses, which is called the asset beta. Um, so that is taken into account there. And so the first ten years was you know pretty much in line. Yeah. But Pretty the second ten years, what did you find? So what we found was from particularly from twenty thirteen onwards, so the last eight years, uh, levels of economic profit well above the cost of capital, um, and in particularly in the last five years. So we 
we use the formula the Commerce Commission has to estimate uh, what's called the weighted average cost of capital. So it's sort of you know the trend over time. Um, and what we found from 2016 onwards, so the last five years, was Meridian Energy was about 250% above the weighted average cost of capital. So you know even if we got the even if we estimated that weighted average cost of capital slightly wrong, we're still talking about you know pretty high levels of profit in excess of what the Commerce Commission would have deemed reasonable. So how is that possible when you, in theory, have a competitive market? Well, it's, it's again, there's probably a couple of ways of looking at that as well, Bernard. One is um, how competitive is the wholesale electricity market? And that was really the question that drove us to have a look at this issue. Um, if we go back to 2009, um, and the Commerce Commission did an electricity sector review at that time, and it found that the four big gen tailors all exercise market power and that they all price their electricity they sell into the wholesale market at a level higher than they would be able to do in a normally competitive market. Um, but the Commerce Commission also found that it was, in the sense of the Commerce Act, legitimate, legitimate profit-maximising behaviour. Um, so they didn't then go further and say, well, is excessive profit being earned? So that's, there's been that open question, I referred to that earlier, that open question's been around for at least 12 years now. Um, so there's that. But equally, you know, and again, this is the Commerce Commission's, um, you know, they note that, you know, companies can make excess economic profit, um, and that can be due to innovation, it can be to improvements in efficiency, it can be that the company is just more efficient than its competitors because of the nature of the assets it's owned. Um, but the Commerce Commission makes the very clear point that in the longer term, you expect to see, even if a company is making excess economic profit for any of those reasons, you still expect in the longer term, their returns to come back towards the, that weighted average cost of capital. Now, um, and that's uh, what we haven't seen yet. Now, we could be partway through a cycle. Um, so there could be reasons for the level of profit that Meridian has been earning. And I'd just stress, you know, the study or analysis we did was compiling the data. Um, we haven't yet had the opportunity to try and delve into what are the drivers for that. Could you talk a bit about the um, structure of the market for those who aren't the um, electricity market um, geeks <laughs> yeah. around how the, uh, uh, the gen tailors... Uh, well, not quite drip feed, but keep the market right at the edge because it's the marginal price uh, for that that um, megawatt of power that they sell right at the edge of the market that effectively sets the price for the entire market. So could you explain how that works? I think you've just about just done it, Bernard. <laughs> um, like I think it, it's, a, it's a really interesting point in that in the wholesale electricity market, um, the price is set by effectively the least efficient form of generation. Um, so it's not the most efficient generator setting the price and others sort of chasing it. It's you have the least efficient form of generation sets the price and then all the other forms of generation then sell in it just below that price. Um, and there's sort of a complicated mix in terms of how that sort of price stack is put together. Um, we do know, for instance, looking at the data the Electricity Authority has released for the first quarter of this year, that thermal generation, so gas and coal, directly set that marginal price of generation 15% of the time. So 85% of the time, something else is setting it. 
Um, and that's part of you know, the work that we hope the electricity authority is doing. Um, and certainly what we've seen in some of the high price spikes of this year, um, it's often hydro that's setting those really high prices because of scarcity of water. Um, and that makes sense in a dry year again. So, you know, don't want to sort of imply there's anything untoward in that. Because the power um, companies, the gentailers, uh, have said, oh, this is all because we've had some dry winters and we've had this gas problems with Pōkura in Taranaki uh, and that's why we've had this increase. From my reading of the wholesale uh, prices over the last two to three years, we've seen basically a doubling of the wholesale price from, you know, depending on how you look at it, somewhere between around $75 to around about $150, $200. Yeah, so it's, I mean, the... If we go back three, so there was a sort of a seminal event about three years ago when the Pahukura gas field had an unexpected outage and went down. Um, and the wholesale price just prior to that was around 75 to $80 a megawatt hour. Um, wholesale price immediately jumped up. Um, and for much of this year, for instance, um, most months um, the price has been averaging over $200 a megawatt hour and some months it's averaged over $300 a megawatt hour with spikes up over $500 a megawatt hour. Now, from our point of view, we're talking about, you know, our members, you know, some of the larger industrial companies in the country, you know, they're spending, you know, back in the, the glory, you know, the days of 2018 prices, they were spending tens of millions of dollars a year. And in some cases over a hundred million dollars a year on electricity. And since then those prices have tripled or quadrupled. Um, so despite the fact we're talking about some big companies, Companies can't absorb that form of price shock or cost shock um, without it having flow-on impacts, and we've certainly seen some of those flow-on impacts. Um, so it's a pretty serious issue, particularly you know for regional New Zealand, where a lot of these industrial manufacturers are based, um, and the jobs that they provide. Can you give us some examples of uh, some of those big manufacturers and processes where they're under such stress that they might have to let people go? Yep. So we had. Uh, Fakatane Mill, for instance, closed earlier this year, and the outgoing chief executive was pretty explicit about the role that high uh, wholesale electricity prices paid, played in that. Um, should note, though, that they have found a buyer for their operation, so you know that's great news for the people of Whakatane. Um, you know, New Zealand Steel had a strategic review last year, and in the face of costs and the need to do cost reductions, um, unfortunately had to let some people go. Um, and you know, sort of, there are numerous other examples of where jobs have been lost. There's also the the impact on investment into New Zealand as a country. Um, so you know we've got um, you know members where their parent companies, because a number of them are overseas owned, um, have got considerable amounts of capital to invest. And your know, one example. Um, for commercial reasons, I can't name the company, sorry, but their parent company sitting on a billion dollars to invest globally. Um, so the New Zealand branch thought, well, we'll have a bit of that, please. And they applied for it and they got turned down because of a lack of confidence in our wholesale electricity market and the high level of our prices. Um, and if we don't attract investment into New Zealand as a country, then again, that puts our manufacturing sector and all those well-paid, high-skilled jobs at risk. So there's a real issue about restoring confidence in the wholesale electricity market. Now, some of the gentailers might say, well, this is just the wholesale market at work. These companies that got caught short um, paying very high wholesale prices should have hedged themselves or um, done uh, proper long-term deals with us at reasonable prices. 
they're just um, that's just sour grapes because they got caught on the wrong side. You know, it's a it's a fair point to ask too, Bernard. I think the observation I'd make is um, almost all of our members are partially or fully hedged. Um, so saying you should have been hedged ignores the fact that most of them are. Um, and the other point I'd make, a couple of points I'd make on hedges. So hedges are a sort of a short-term financial instrument to take the volatility out of the wholesale market. You know, you know you're not going to have to pay above a certain price. Um, so what happens is, they, so they are a short-term financial instrument, as I said, designed to take the spikes out of the wholesale market. We've had elevated prices now for three years. The forecasts are that we're looking at another three to five years of high wholesale prices. Now, hedges in New Zealand are typically taken out for two to three year periods. So if you are a company that even if it's fully hedged, now you're updating your hedge book on an ongoing basis, but you're going to have to completely redo your hedge book at least two or three times during this period of elevated prices. Um, and the last time we recently checked in with members, the prices that are being quoted for their new hedges are 100% increase from what they are paying. So hedges don't insulate you from the cost shocks that are really dramatically affecting New Zealand businesses. Now, those in favour of the market would say, hey, this is just the price signal that's being sent, and now the gen tailors are madly scrambling to increase uh, generation capacity. They're doing all these wind farms, and, um, you know, just hang in there, and we'll get back to something normal. What do you reckon? I mean, that's entirely possible, and certainly, you know, companies like Meridian have announced, you know, some significant new generation builds. Um, and so we're really looking forward to seeing construction of those start. Um, some of it has started, but much of it hasn't. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a number of factors that go into whether or not the wholesale electricity price comes down as it's sort of forecast to do. Part of it is this, is this new generation built. Um, part of it is, does Rio Tinto exit New Zealand? Um, because that frees up a lot of generation as well. Um, and those things have all been announced, um, but they haven't happened. Um, and they're all, you know, I'm sure they're all those things are pretty conditional. So it's a bit of a, a wait and see. And the issue there for us, Bernard, is, you know, in the interim, you know, jobs are being put at risk. So, you know, can we, do we have the luxury of sitting back and going, look, it'll all be right in five years' time if all these different things all line up and all happen as we think they will? Do you think that this market structure will work in the long run to uh, meet our carbon emissions um, um, obligations? Because I'm guessing your members think a lot about um, carbon zero and how we're going to get there. But on the face of it, this current market has seen uh, um, some uh, gas and coal-fired generation taken out of the market, but also some gas-fired generation gone back into the market. And I don't see a huge amount of uh, uh, evidence that these higher prices are necessarily getting uh, generators to you know move a lot more into renewable. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting question. And from our point of view... Um, it's one of the questions that I think the Electricity Authority needs to look at, which is, is the current market, which was designed in the 1990s, um, still going to be, you know, quarter of a century ago, is that still fit for purpose for the next quarter of a century? Um, you know, when our generation mix is going to look very different, we're going to see a lot more distributed generation, people, you know, with their solar panels and, 
and the like of it with EVs and the difference change that's going to make in the network, all those sorts of things. You know, is the market of today actually fit for purpose for the market we need tomorrow? And that's a that's a, a genuine question we really want to see looked at with some urgency. The uh, generators. The other, oh, sorry, sorry, no, you go, you go. Well, I was going to say, in terms of you know, how do we get to our low carbon future? I mean, you know, all the companies that we represent are doing everything they can um, in the context of you know their different industries. The the point I'd make is for companies to electrify you know, stop using thermal energy where they do electrify, that requires affordable electricity. Um, you're not going to significantly increase your consumption of electricity if you can't afford it in the first place. And the Interim Climate Change Committee, um, in its work on 100% renewable as a target, noted that a wholesale electricity price of over $115 a megawatt hour would be unaffordable for us as a country. Now, we have not had a price that low in over three years. Um, and it's not forecast. Even um, Mercury Energy, for instance, does some fantastic work in terms of you know, the forward curve and forecasting and the rest of it. Um, and even they're not forecasting the price to get below $115 in the next four years. Because the, so we've, the Climate you know, Commission um, forecast, at least in its initial draft, that... Uh, we could get to carbon zero, particularly because we would switch out a lot of currently coal or diesel or petrol-fueled vehicles and um, boilers into electricity because uh, it saw TY Point shutting down and a 30% fall in uh, wholesale electricity prices, which would make it easy and affordable for people to switch. But what you're saying yeah. is... Um, we, we can't hit our carbon emissions targets uh, without more affordable electricity. Yeah, I think that's, that's a real risk. Now, um, the, the Gen Taylors have also said in response to your report that uh, the electricity price review, which came out in uh, 2019, the government set it up, uh, uh, or at least the previous version of the government set it up, came back and said, Nothing to see here. Move along. Uh, this isn't. This is a competitive market. We're fine. Um, you guys just need to get back in your box, essentially. Uh, what, what, what did you think of that uh, electricity pricing review conclusion? Uh, two observations I'd make there, Bernard. One is, as we all know, the um, the electricity price review primarily focused on the retail sector and households in hardship, and that was incredibly important focus and work to do. They didn't spend a lot of time looking at the wholesale electricity market. And in their finding, I mean, they did, but they didn't spend a lot of time really rigorously looking at it. And as sort of as a result of that, when they published their results, they did say, we don't find any evidence, the generators uh, you know, making excessive profit. And then they quickly followed that up with, we don't have the data to be definitive in our answer. So if the government's own review says we can't give you a definitive answer, I think we can take it. We don't have a definitive answer. Now, at the moment, the Electricity Authority says it's doing a review of the wholesale market. It will consider its options next month and put out some sort of report. It doesn't say, say exactly when or how. And uh, Megan Woods has said she is 
uh, keen to see what the electricity <laughs> authority comes back with. Um, what sort of options do you think should be there for reform to look at? Yeah, well, the first thing I'd note is, um, obviously, you know, we've been engaging with the electricity authority and we've been assured by the authority that they are looking at this question about excess profit in the industry very closely as part of that work. So we are looking forward um, to seeing that. Now, their work will be much more comprehensive than ours um, because it'll look across the industry um, at the generation sector, whereas we've only looked at one company because we had to start somewhere. Um, so we are looking forward to seeing that, um, just like the minister and I think just about everybody else in the sector. So um, what sort of options so do you think question, should be there? Oh, so, so, look, I think it's, I mean, our position has been, um, we think it'd be premature for us to say what the solution would be because the information that we possess is only a partial picture. Um, and what we don't want to see is sort of a, a rush to solution before we've got a clear idea of exactly what the problems are because then you can weigh up the merits of your different options. Um, look, we I think there's a number of things that, could be done. Um, I think particularly in the, the interim, the authority could look at um, ways you can reduce some of the volatility in the wholesale market. Um, we think at the same time, um, this question of excess profit or not um, could be something or should be something that they are monitoring. Now, whether they use the same methodology uh, we used or something similar, you know, that's not, we don't care. Um, but again, you know, sort of sunlight being the best disinfectant. If people know you're actively tracking this, that itself has an influence on behaviour. Um, Some of now, the um, the smaller retailers have yeah. suggested um, or proposed structural separation of the gen tailors, breaking them into telecom style into a generator yeah. and a retailer who have uh, uh, complete separation. Um, what do you think of that? Look, we, we're neither for or against it. I think we're trying to keep an open mind as to possible solutions. Um, look, that's, I'm sure that's, you know, one of a number of options that people will look at, um, but it may not be the best option. Um, and, you know, those forms of separation also come with a degree of risk. You know, you know, what are the unintended consequences? So, you know, we certainly wouldn't be supporting it just yet. Um, but, you know, if the authority comes out with some compelling evidence that that's the way forward, um, then we'd certainly look at supporting it at that point. Um, Anything else that's um, maybe not on my radar or other radars that, that could make a difference? Oh, I mean, I've heard a number of options. Um, possibly the most recent one is, well, actually, you know, you could in bring the generators into, into the Commerce Act. Um, and the Commerce Commission determines what is a reasonable rate of return for them, like they do with other with regulated monopolies, on the basis of if the gen tailors do exercise market power, as the Commission has found in the past they do, do you do you set what is a reasonable return for them? Now, again, I'm stressing we're not advocating for that, but that's just one of the more recent ideas I've heard, um, which is I think you know be an interesting debate to have. Dumb question: um, How come then? How come they're excluded from the current regime that everyone else is in? Um, well, the Commerce Commission, part of what the Commerce Commission looks at when determining who should be part of the Commerce Act is um, are they a monopoly or do they exercise monopoly-like powers? Um, so that's why, for instance, you have port companies involved because in Wellington you have one port. 
Um, that's why the international airports are in there. You know, in Auckland, there's only one international airport. Um, they have the monopoly for that part of the country. Um, but as to whether or not, you know, the pros and cons of potentially bringing the generators into um, the purview of the Commerce Commission, you know, I think that's that's a matter for the, the Minister and the Commerce Commission rather than us. Um, I sort of raise it as, you know, you ask for what other ideas are potentially out there, and that's, that's the most recent one I'd heard. Because um, on the face of it, at the moment, you couldn't make the electricity industry or at least the generation retailing parts of it subject to a market study. Is that right? Uh, no, you could. Um, but again, you know, there's the Commerce Commission's currently busy with the supermarket market study. Um, so, you know, there could be a... There could be a decision in the future to do a market study into um, the generation industry. Um, and it's important in that context to note that, you know, we use, for our work, we use what's called an uh, economic profit analysis, um, which essentially unpicks publicly available audited documents to determine what is the underlying economic performance of a company. Um, now, the Commerce Commission use a form of economic profit analysis uh, with their input methodologies work that they do um, and they use, while there are some differences, they use something, you know, methodology that's similar with the retail fuel market study and the current supermarket market study. So it's a, it's a very well-established, well-known methodology um, and certainly when we briefed the Commerce Commission on what we were intending to do in the methodology we were going to use, they were comfortable with it because they know it. Um, so there's, the methodology is pretty robust. Um, so from a methodological point of view, there'd be no reason the Commerce Commission couldn't do a market study. Um, now, again, you know, the Commerce Commission's got the powers to request information that, you know, as a, as a, as a business association, we don't have and shouldn't have. Um, <laughs> so, you know, they could do, a, again, a more in-depth, more rigorous analysis than we've done. And just finally, um, some in the market, the independent retailers in particular, have expressed frustration with the Electricity Authority. I don't think anyone's used the phrase captured regulator yet, but <laughs> when they use their eyebrows, that's what they want to say. Uh, what do you reckon about whether the Electricity Authority uh, has the confidence of um, the uh, consumers, big and small, as well as the industry? Yeah, well, the starting point I'd like to make is what I mentioned earlier is, you know, we've had personal assurances from the chair and from the chief executive of the Electricity Authority that they are very concerned about what's happening in the wholesale electricity market and they are going to have a really rigorous look at it. Um, so, you know, we, we should take them at face value on that. Um, you know, they don't make those sorts of assurances lightly. Um, we know the minister is very focused on the issue as well. Um, now, in relation to, you know, the Electricity Authority, I think, you know, our, I mean, our point of view is it's, it's a bit hard to be critical of the sort of perception of maybe they're a bit slow to act because they had intended to do a, mar to do a review of the wholesale electricity market um, a couple of years ago. Um, but then the, the undesirable trading situation complaint against Meridian Energy landed and the team just as they were about to start review of the wholesale market, got put onto that UTS complaint. Um, 
So having dealt with that complaint was when the authority announced in March this year that they were restarting their, their wholesale market review. So there's, a, there's an element here of, you know, the authority sort of overtaken by events a bit and had to prioritise their resources accordingly. So, I mean, I think, there, I think there is a perception with the independent retailers and certainly some of our members as well that the authorities been a bit slow to address the question, but that's, it's a bit hard to be critical of the authority because of the circumstances that I've just laid out. Um, and we do, as I said, you know, certainly take at face value their, their very strong assurances that they do take this very seriously and are looking at it really, really rigorously. Just had a quick look at the wholesale electricity prices and over the last um, three or four weeks, they have miraculously, surprisingly, interestingly fallen to $39 per megawatt hour yesterday. And I, I, I mean, if you track the news coverage, the accusations of monopoly behaviour, the uh, complaints from the independent retailers, then the August 9th outage and all of the noise that came around that, uh, uh, does it look like the industry realised they were taking the piss for too long and have pulled their heads in by operating the market as it should now? Or am I being a bit cynical? I think you're being a bit cynical, to be honest, Bernard, <laughs> in fairness. Um, look, I think, you know, the just as we've seen some really high peaks in terms of electricity prices, we've seen some lows. Now, you know, those lows tend to happen when no one's using electricity. Um, you know, if no one, if there's very little demand, then, you know, you can't charge a high price, basically. Um, but that's why it's really important that you look at trends and you look at periods of time rather than, you know, short trading periods. Um, because again, if, you know, if you're a large manufacturer, you're buying electricity 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks of the year. Um, so what the price is in an individual trading period isn't as relevant for you about what's happening over the course of that year. Um, and the trend has certainly been over the last three years for very elevated prices. Um, and there have also been circumstances that are playing into why the price has come down. You know, if, um, as many people around the country can tell you, in the last couple of months, we've had a lot of rain. Um, but again, you know, as part of the work we did on hydrology earlier that I referred to at the beginning of this, we don't always see the wholesale price follow hydrology. So, you know, we've had elevated prices for three years. Not each of the last three years has been a dry year. Um, and while we had quite a bit of rain in the hydro catchments in June and July and the price came down, as you'd expect, we had rain in the hydro catchments in May and the price went up. <laughs> so again, you know, these are all part of the picture. You know, gas shortages are part of the picture, gas pricing is part of the picture, um, hydrology is part of the picture. But from our point of view, you know, if you're assembling a jigsaw to really understand what the overall picture looks like, we've got a lot of the pieces, but not all of the pieces, which is why we looked at the question of profit. And just finally, the government owns 51% of the th three of the biggest um, gen tailors. Another cynic might say, they're not really serious about changing this because they're, they're getting 51% of those monster profits. <laughs> Look, you know, what I can say is we know the minister is very focused on this issue. Um, and so, you know, she's very cognizant of the fact, as I'm sure other ministers are, that you know, unsustainable electricity prices put jobs at risk. You know, they put investment in our economy and our future at risk. And even, you know, the, the flow on effects to, you know, 
Kiwi households. You know, we've had, for instance, progressives and foodstuffs and recently Teagle all talking about the impact that high electricity prices are having on them and how they'll do their best to minimise how much of that they pass on to their customers, but their prices are going to go up. So, you know, it's if you were going to be a cynic, Bernard, and look, I don't think the minister is at all, you know, because I know she's focused on it, they're very focused on the impacts on households too, because that's where voters are. So, you know, if, if, you're, if the question is where are the politics of this, is the politics always sit with voters, and voters are going to get increasingly impacted by this. Excellent. John, thank you very much. I really enjoyed the conversation because it went on a bit longer than I expected <laughs> and I hope I haven't blown your day out. So thank you. No, not at all. It's a pleasure, Bernard. Well, that was John Harbord there talking about how the big electricity users are concerned about the level of excess profits from at least Meridian and probably others. So what happens now? Will the government listen, do much about it? Well, we know from... Megan Woods and reporting on what Megan Woods said that she found it interesting and she's going to pass it on to the powers that be at the Electricity Authority and MB to have a look at. She has said in the past she will look at the idea of structural separation and uh, has even suggested, uh, you know, changing the main regulator from the Electricity Authority, although I'd be really surprised if that actually happened. So, where are we now? Over the next month or so, the Electricity Authority will prepare its review of the wholesale electricity market that it really ramped up after the August 9th um, blackouts, and that will come back to the Minister, and we'll see whether she's keen to make some major changes. So it is possible you could see a recommendation for a structural separation, telecom style, where the big gen tailors split up the generation and the retailers into separate companies and uh, you try to get a more a cleaner wholesale price that isn't uh, somehow skewed by the big retail books that the generators have and the government could you know try to get involved in its in its own way uh, one of the ways it distracts people from uh, immediate reform is it talks about the lake on onslow um, battery idea this is a, a big dip in the ground in the South Island that would, in theory, get filled up with water. The government would own it and drip feed water into the market after it's been filled to uh, essentially keep a lid on wholesale prices. Uh, not surprising, the, the industry don't, don't love that idea. But in reality, it's 10 years for consents, 10 years to build it, and 10 years to fill it. So 30 years, um, it's a great way to distract everyone and, and have a, an idea off in the future that you don't have to deliver and you don't have to pay for, and, but it gives the suggestion that you're doing something about it. And so that's a, a great way for the government to say, oh, look, look what we're doing, we're planning Onslow. Meanwhile, the power companies can continue on doing what they're doing. Uh, it's, in theory, the Electricity Authority could also come back with some more tweaks to the market. They've been tweaking as they go since 2010, I suppose, where you've seen some uh, splitting up of assets and shuffling them around. You've seen um, tougher rules about uh, retail electricity market uh, competition, more information, uh, that sort of thing. But actually... It's pretty clear now that after the last two or three years of rising wholesale prices, a lot of those retail competitors have been pushed out of the market and the level of uh, competition there has dried up a bit. And the question will be, um, you know, 
do the retailers, the big retailers, take advantage of the end of that significant competition to try to uh, um, push up prices, knowing that they're not going to have too much, work, too many concerns with customers noticing the price increases and jumping across to someone else, uh, and particularly because the big four or five are not um, in the game of uh, trying to win market share off each other in any aggressive way that I can see that would lower prices. Uh, up until now, actually, for the last four or five years, retail prices, and remember that's not the full bill. The full bill includes transmission and also it includes uh, um, the lines company's uh, charges. So you could argue maybe a third or so of the actual power bill comes from the power generator retailers for the actual electricity. And uh, over the last four or five years, according to a chart you can see in the full version of this podcast email, there has been a flattening of retail prices. And that's partly because of the increased competition. We really saw kicked in in 2014-15 when Flick Electric and then Electric Kiwi came in and were essentially buying power off the wholesale market and then selling it on to retail customers. And part of the reason for that was that there was a period from 2014 to 2018 when wholesale prices were relatively low and stable. And um, there was the prospect that TY Point could go. And that, uh, that again, raised the prospect of relatively low wholesale prices. And, uh, you know, essentially it meant that those retailers were able to sell cheaper electricity to uh, retail customers and um, not have to worry too much about volatility and effectively buy insurance to um, avoid uh, having to pass on a big spike in wholesale prices to their retail customers. But this big shift up uh, from around about $40 or $50 per megawatt hour to $150 per megawatt hour, depending on which day of the week you've been in in the last three years, has blown away. It's burnt off some of those com competitors. And they've either stopped taking new customers, they've pulled out of the market altogether, or they've stopped marketing. And uh, that is something that um, has concerned the government uh, and the industry. Essentially, a lot of the independents are saying, okay, I've had enough of this market. Can't, can't, um, I don't see a future in it for me. Uh, it looks like it's rigged and um, I'm not going to invest in it. And as you heard from John Harbord there, it's not just the independent retailer entrepreneurial types. Big international investors who are thinking of putting money into, let's say, a new mill of some sort or new manufacturing operations, billions of dollars, have said, no, nah, that's not a real electricity market. I can't rely on having some sort of reasonable electricity price without too much volatility. I'm not going to go anywhere near that. So that's a problem for the government if they care about manufacturing jobs. Um, we can't all be real estate agents. Uh, so that will be um, interesting to see how the government approaches it. As you can see from my column, my basic view is that the government is unlikely to make much change, in part because they're completely full up doing lots of other things, not least of which fighting COVID. And for Megan Woods, who's the minister involved here, she is also jam-packed full of housing action and for the government increasing housing supply and dealing with the constant headlines about unaffordable housing and housing shortages and people in motels is much more politically explosive than a fairly dry debate amongst geeks like me about pricing in the um, perfect or imperfect electricity market. However, 
There's a caveat there. If the big gentoers decide to use the exit of the independence as an opportunity to push up their retail prices again, in the same way they did from 20, uh, well, really since 1996 up to about 2014, uh, rising um, power prices faster than, increasing power prices faster than uh, uh, inflation generally. If they do that, then uh, all bets are off. And um, magically, uh, we've actually seen wholesale prices drop quite sharply in the two weeks since this blew up as a major political issue. And I think essentially the attention span of ministers, but also voters and regulators, um, it's not that long in this day and age where 24 hours is two or three news cycles. So uh, my political economy brain says not much is going to change here. And you can see that in the way that the electricity price review was handled. Um, the government came in talking a big game about reforming the market and making it better for consumers. And there was a big report written and done. And it actually was written by people who were quite connected in the industry. And certainly uh, not that I'm suggesting that um, that influenced the way they wrote the report, but their background is very invested in the in, in the industry, and you'd have to say unlikely to suggest major changes. And that's the case with the Electricity Authority as well. It built this baby, and it's been continually trying to bring it up the right way, unlikely to throw it completely out. So my gut feel is hardly any change. Um, even the major one, which the Electricity Price Review suggested, which was the um, introduction of mandatory market making so that the wholesale market uh, had some uh, big volumes and, uh, in theory, less volatility. Uh, the Electricity Authority have battled all through that time to try and get everyone involved properly from the Gentailers. Uh, lots of warnings about um, days off and various other things and talk about bringing um, new players in and uh, currently they're still talking about years away before they get um, a proper uh, operating wholesale market. So I don't see uh, much opportunity for change there. I suspect this is another series of reports and working groups and reform proposals that go nowhere and as the political uh, climate moves on and changes to the next thing, you're unlikely to see much change because at the heart of this, median voters, they're the ones in the focus groups that the politicians listen to. Typically, they own their own home. They don't miss their power bills. They probably couldn't even tell you who the retailer is. They um, probably haven't switched much. There's a lot of people who don't actually switch because it's just too difficult to think about. You know, they've got kids to get to school and they've got work to do. And quite frankly, they'd quite like to, to watch seven hours of Netflix uh, rather than deal with changing their power provider or understanding what the bill is. I mean, who here listening to this podcast knows what the price of electricity is right now? The actual electricity you use in in your house, and not the price of the bill, the actual price per kilowatt hour. Uh, well, it's around about uh, 38 cents or so, and has doubled in the last 20 years or so. Hasn't moved much in the last four or five years, but that's, uh, that's there as well. So... Um, you can see that median voters, they've got other things on their mind. You know, Can they get their kids into a house? Uh, will they be able to 
go back to work, is COVID fixed? Uh, those sorts of issues, the idea, uh, the concerns about the power market, where you know there are hundreds of thousands of people who can't afford their power bills regularly. They worry about high power bills. They turn off their heaters or their newly installed heat pumps during winter. Um, they regularly get cut off. It hurts their credit ratings. Uh, it is a major drama for a whole bunch of people, and the industry hasn't really dealt with it very well, and neither has the government. Nothing much is changing there. So, um, long story short, unlikely to see much change unless the generator retailers decide to push up retail prices and if wholesale prices go back to where they were two or three weeks ago, uh, up over the $100 per megawatt hour mark, then you might see more noise. Um, but for now, this is just the usual static in the political economy without too much signal that the powers that be are taking notice of. Uh, a lot like a whole bunch of other issues, actually. But that's for another day. That was a special uh, podcast on the electricity sector, what's happened this week on the um, on the kaka. I'm Bernard Hickey. Uh, ka kite anō.